Hello and welcome to another episode of The Scrum, WGBH News' political podcast. I'm Adam Riley. We need to increase the supply. The demand is so high in the city of Austin, and when you put supply on the market, it brings down the demand, lowers the rents in certain areas of the city of Austin, something we have to do. That, of course, is Boston Mayor Marty Walsh, who's currently seeking a second four-year term. My colleague Peter Kadzis and I had hoped to get the mayor and his opponent, Boston City Councilor Tito Jackson, into our studio at the Boston Public Library to answer a few lingering questions and then make a final pre-election pitch to Scrum listeners. Unfortunately, Mayor Walsh wasn't able to make it, but Councilor Jackson was, and he's here with me and Peter now. Councilor, thank you for taking the time to be here. Thank you for having me. Before Peter and I run a couple lingering questions by you, where's your head at as the campaign approaches its final week? I am excited. We are going from morning uh, till night to make sure that we turn the vote out. This will not be decided by pollsters and pundits. It's going to be decided by the people of Boston who come out to vote uh, and to determine uh, the vision for the city of Boston. Are you tired yet? I'll be tired on November 8th. Uh, At that point, I will be the next mayor, and so it'll be time uh, for Peter to get me a large coffee. (laughs) From the Newsfeed Cafe here at the Boston Public (laughs) Library. So you say uh, come November 8th, you're going to be the next mayor, mayor Marin-waiting. As you know, the polls have not looked terrific. You told me before we started rolling here that you really believe you're going to shock the world on November 7th. You really, really believe that? I really believe it. 50,000 people voted on uh, September 26th. Many more people will will vote. Uh, We've now uh, gotten to do uh, the Pepsi Challenge, and uh, people now see uh, that um, I have a vision for the city of Boston that includes everybody, that's going to build affordable housing, that's going to take care of young people, and actually um, engage the whole city, $15 an hour minimum wage. All of those things are on the table, uh, and I believe that people are excited, uh, they're motivated, and uh, we will see a change on Tuesday, November 7th. A lot of credit for the Pepsi Challenge reference. That's going to endear you to all the Gen Xers out there. <laughs> but let's, uh, let's have me stop talking and Peter Kedza start. Peter, you have a couple things you were hoping to ask Councillor Jackson. Yeah, here goes. Let's start with schools. Throughout the campaign, you seem to have a reluctance or you've dismissed the idea of consolidating schools. Um, And and I'm not using the word closed because I think maybe consolidated is a better way to put it. You know, there used to be 100,000 students in the Boston public school system. And today there's about 54,000. In light of those numbers, where do you stand on school consolidation? Peter, you've been around too long. And and the reason why I say that, and I'm just giving you a hard time, is that there are no longer 100,000 seats. There are 61,000 seats in the Boston Public Schools. The old Boston Latin Academy, there's a school on Hutching Street that's housing right now. There's a school on Center Street that's housing right now. So in the city of Boston, there's about 61,000 seats. Uh, The issue that we have is that we actually have 58,000 students, and we have 4,000 young people who are waiting to get into early education. In my math, I know there's a new math that's going on, that means we don't have enough seats for the young young people. To your point around consolidation, um, we should not uproot school communities until we have a plan. We should have a comprehensive, well-thought-out plan um, that is uh, vetted with uh, school communities, neighborhoods, and communities. And uh, I believe that we should have a transparent and accountable elected school committee uh, so we actually have an advisory board uh, that is not only uh, the mayor of the city of Boston. 
Um, let me ask you about the McKinsey report. And this is a report commissioned by the mayor of Boston early in his term that there is $80 million a year to be saved by consolidating schools. Now, I take it from the numbers you just gave me that you think that's, let's politely say, hogwash. Uh, my mom is listening. So I, I will say uh, the McKinsey report, uh, we, I hope we still have the receipt because they need to give us our money back. Uh, because the McKinsey report uh, only looked at school buildings. And this is how they looked at school buildings. They took height, width, <laughs> and they actually uh, calculated the space in the school building and, and then said that that's how many students should be there. What we know in the Boston Public Schools, and you take, for instance, uh, a building like the Burke High School, um, which the McKinsey said uh, should have 1,100 students, the Burke should only have 600 students, and it has about 900 students right now. It is too crowded. And so none of the, the, the schools that I've seen um, have this huge number uh, of empty seats. What we should be thinking about is two-thirds of schools are built before 1945. We should be thinking about building new 21st century competitive schools. We should have a brand new uh, vocational technical high school like Worcester does so we can actually compete in Vogue Tech. And we also should have a kindergarten through 12th grade curriculum for all of our young people for computer science for all why bring amazon.com if our young people are only going to be the delivery people for amazon and aren't going to be the people running the company we should be thinking about those competencies um, and the fact that uh, most schools in boston uh, probably have a lead water running through their pipes right now today we have a lot of work to do to my mind as a parent of two kids who've graduated from boston public schools was one student still in it I've looked at the Boston Public Schools from a consumer point of view for a long time. It really strikes me that vocational education in Boston is not worthy of the name. Why is that and where should it go? It should go to the top. The assumption would have been that we have a mayor who uh, actually knows about vocational technical education because it's a field that he uh, has been in. In terms of the actual financial commitment, I understand I always say a budget is a value statement. Uh, mayor Walsh has uh, cut $455,000 from Madison Park this year alone. Uh, under Mayor Walsh, it went from a level three high support school to a level four uh, turnaround school. That happened under his watch. Uh, as mayor, I will uh, make sure that this is a top priority. Um, not every young person is going to go to college, but they can go uh, to career or also go to um, uh, get an associate's degree and have a skill set. Um, it's a critical component. We saw Worcester, uh, which was uh, doing very poorly, and now uh, they are one of the top in the whole country. One of the one of the things that they did is they built a brand new facility, which we should also do, um, and and um, they have a, the public-private partnerships with. Uh, the private sector. Do you think part of the problem there is that the people who could create those partnerships do not, in fact, send their kids to schools in the city of Boston, public schools? That's one of the pieces, but the problem is this. Um, we need to earn their business. I'm a, comp I'm a competitor. Um, Boston public schools should be just as good as our friends in, in Brookline uh, and Wellesley and Newton. But what they do in those towns, they don't come up short. They fully fund their public schools every single year. Mayor Walsh, over his time, has cut $140 million, $11 million out of 49 schools. And I know he's going to. I know they say that they they put over $150 million uh, in there, um, and that the revenues are higher than they've ever been overall for BPS. Over $144 million in new revenue, nearly a five percent increase. So I believe our young people should do just as well as the Boston public schools. Understand, they're 100 percent of our future, and we are a knowledge 
college-based economy. So that's a critical component. In addition, I would, on this high school side of things, I know Mayor Walsh has brought it up, his administration disenrolled 100 young people who had dropped out of school already um, at Greater Eggleston. He can't say that he is actually putting uh, emphasis on high schools. I would love to build two more uh, high schools. One, uh, I would build an entrepreneurship high school um, so young people are thinking about starting their own businesses. And I would want to partner with uh, Berkeley College of Music um, and build uh, a music industry-based uh, high school because it turns out that young people actually uh, have something to say and want to be part of those. And I've, I haven't vetted it with Berkeley, but I've vetted it with the most important people, uh, which are young people. Uh, and we should have recording studios in every single one of our schools as well as um, our BCYF facilities. We can and should have those interactions. I'd like to switch gears now and talk about housing. Could you explain in, in the simplest possible terms how you would approach the housing crisis in Boston, comparing and contrasting how incumbent Mayor Walsh is doing it? Uh, the first thing, they say when you're in a hole, you need to stop digging. So Boston has uh, over 10,000 units in the next five years that will be what they refer to as expiring use, which means they will come to the end of their affordability. Uh, you look at a place like Roxy Homes, where in March of 2019 their affordability ends, and we need to be thinking about how we keep those units actually affordable. That's a first step. So what would, that, what would that step be? How would you, if... if those are going to cease being affordable and there's no way around it, what's the response? Um, I think we have to uh, work uh, with our financial community, um, you know, even with organizations. This is too much even for an organization like Mass Housing, which has a lot of money. Um, the number and the scale uh, is, is so much higher. We have to go to the state and to have this conversation at the state level uh, because they are the ones who actually have uh, the deep, deeper purses to be able to deal with the, these issues. It is critical uh, that we uh, move forward on, on that conversation. And I would, would have expected that someone who came from the state house to have already started this conversation, and it has not advanced. I, I wonder two things. One, with the Republicans in control of uh, you know, both houses of Congress and the White House, we're going to get no help from there, and the state is strapped itself. With that as a background, let's compare and contrast Boston with New York City. Uh, Mayor de Blasio, who is more to the left of Marty Walsh, I think, but not quite as progressive as you, is following a plan very similar to what the mayor is doing, which is uh, racing to build as many units as they can uh, in as many categories as they can in the hope that this will keep rents down. Now, what's Mayor de Blasio doing wrong? And by extension, what's Mayor Walsh doing wrong? So, so a couple things that I would do. Currently in Boston, if you build over 10 units, that's a private site, that means you have to build 13%. In Cambridge, they've moved that to 20%. Mayor Walsh has said he wanted to move it to 18. He actually has already done higher than 18, so why not uh, move it to 25? From 13 to 25 percent um, for private sites is what I would do. And that's for low income? So this word affordable, I like, I like to say affordable is the equivalent of the word love. Uh, it means different things to different people. Understand in Boston, 50% of people make $35,000 or less. Right. The affordable for a family of four in Boston, it's $70,000 to $120,000. So we would need to redefine the word affordable based on uh, the individual neighborhood and community. And I think that's a critical uh, component. The one other piece that I would say is we have still tracks of city-owned land. 
and I believe that public land should be used for public good. And on those tracks, uh, we would have a third, a third, a third requirements, a third low income, moderate income, and then also uh, market rate, a third, a third, a third. I'm really um, glad you said that. I think I had misunderstood. I thought that your one-third, one-third, one-third was for the entire market. It's only for city-owned tracts? So I want people to know I came from the private sector. I have no wish to kill the real estate market. Um, I believe in a market-based approach. And the other piece is with a 25% requirement, neighborhoods and communities are more apt to want to build additional density. Right, because you would be getting a significant portion of of those units back. What do you mean you'd be getting some of those uh, units back, or more of those units back? So, when when you're at thirteen percent, that's essentially one out of ten. When you're talking about two point five out of ten, you're you're now beginning to have a conversation um, that is significant. And with the number of units that are being built in Boston, uh, that's critical. So, what we also need to note is that mo- still most of the units. 87% of units right now are being built for people who make over $100,000. Uh, so we are in a city that's building units, most of them for people who essentially don't live here yet, right? And when we look at even the building downtown, the Filings Building, Millennium Tower, uh, Millennium Tower, only 20% of people are owner-occupiers because we can tell who gets the homestead. So that means 80% of people, that's either their second home or it's a rental. So the problem that I have with what Mayor Walsh says is that he says we're building 22,000 units. A unit doesn't matter unless you can afford it. Don't tell me how many units you're building. Tell me how many units that you are building for people who actually live here today, people in the city of Boston who make $35,000 or less. The real issue is this. We have an opportunity in the city of Boston to either keep the status quo, uh, which is what we currently have, or we can go in a more aggressive, thoughtful uh, direction uh, that will allow all of our city uh, to move forward. And And we didn't deal with the issue of homelessness, but I do have to toss out, this is the mayor who closed the Long Island Bridge, put 400 people in a shelter, a gym that had two bathrooms, and still has no comprehensive plan to stop homelessness. But he would counter that all the beds that were lost when Long Island was closed have since been recreated. Go to the corner of Mass Ave and Albany Street. Go to the corner of Mass Ave and Melnia Cass. And you tell me four years ago what you saw and what we see right now. And we still do not have a comprehensive plan. And I juxtapose that to uh, the Amazon bid. In a month and a half, this mayor and his administration was able to come up with a plan for 8 million square feet of building in one and a half months versus schools, 3.5 years, and also uh, this situation, which I still don't believe that there's a, a comprehensive plan. Just one point about the Long Island Bridge. The bridge itself is falling down. The bridge being corrupt and ready to fall down wasn't exactly his fault. Last word to you on this, Counselor. All I would simply say is that government should be planning for the most vulnerable. And in this situation, it didn't. In addition, Mayor Walsh spent $20 million blowing up the bridge and getting rid of it. Those $20 million could have been allocated to building housing, which is actually the solution here. We have a responsibility to do right and should be graded by what we do for the most vulnerable, not those who are doing the best in the city of Boston. Has the prospect of you becoming the first African-American mayor in Boston's history. Has it played out the way you thought it would? It has been an amazing ride um, to be able to traverse the city, to go to areas that when I was a kid, I couldn't go to, um, that were uh, really difficult places. And I'll tell you a quick story. I was in, I was in uh, South Boston one day, 
and I was at a, at a, um, a butters meeting, and someone... I, I spoke up for the community because they were going to build. They were going to tear down a 1,200 square foot house and put up a, uh, a six 1.5 million dollar condos. And I said, "Well, you know, there, yeah, there's these zoning issues or whatever." And in my administration, this is what we do. Um, so someone came up to me after <laughs> and said, "You know what? I'm going to support you." And I said, "Okay, that's really that's really great." And she said, "I've been organizing since busing." I was like, "Okay," and it struck me that. She might not have been in the same place as my parents on that topic, but we were in the same place because people in South Boston are getting pushed out of their neighborhoods. People in Charlestown are getting pushed out of their neighborhoods. Uh, People in um, uh, Roxbury, Dorchester, and Mattapan are getting pushed out of their neighborhoods. But I think the most, uh, the thing that motivates me the most um, is I had a young person, he got introduced to Mayor Walsh. He really wanted to meet the mayor. And um, he got to Mayor Walsh and said, no, I meant the other mayor. <laughs> and the kid happened to be a little, a little African-American kid, right? And so for me, it felt really good because if he can see me as mayor, that means he can see himself as mayor, and that means everyone can see. Um, when it comes down to it, I'm a large black man. I am very proud of who I am, but I realize that uh, my job is to uplift everybody in the city, and we are a city uh, that is in a collision course with pushing out working and middle-class people of every race, uh, every class, um, and also every neighborhood. For Boston voters who still have not made up their minds or still might be willing to change their minds, what makes you the best choice for mayor on November 7th? As a mayor of the city of Boston, I... Uh, would be a mayor who uh, absolutely stresses uh, accountability, transparency, and democracy. Um, And we would make the mayorship weaker. I would take apart the Boston Planning and Development uh, Agency. I still call it the BRA. Uh, It's not transparent. Uh, It's not accountable like a city department. And the dollars that flow to it don't come over to the the city books. I would would put together a human-centered, human-focused professional planning agency uh, and democratize it, separating planning and development. Uh, In addition, we would have, I would, again, weaken the mayorship by um, ensuring that we have an elected school committee. There are 351 cities and towns in the state of Massachusetts, and one, which is Boston, has uh, the uh, distinction of not directly electing its school committee. That's unacceptable. Also, I would be a mayor that rolls up his sleeves and deals with these issues of the rising costs of rents. Um, I wouldn't have my head in head in the sky saying that rents are going down. Uh, We have a mayor who's saying that rents are going down. I wish he would give the address so folks actually knew where to apply, uh, because for everybody else, rents are going up and housing costs are going up. We must aggressively deal with these issues because we're all being gentrified and displaced out of our city. I would also fully fund the Boston public schools. We only get one chance at first grade, second grade, third grade, if we're lucky. And so our young people need us to fully fund them every single year. Um, And in addition, um, I would put forward a $15 an hour minimum wage and ensure that uh, businesses in the city of Boston are able to do business with the city. Minority businesses, women-owned businesses, and veteran-owned businesses deserve a shot. Right now, minority and women-owned businesses get less than 2% of the billion dollars that's spent in the city. We have an opportunity uh, to make the city of Boston an amazing and awesome city for everybody and not just some people. So for those reasons, I ask for your support. I ask for your vote on Tuesday, November 7th. I believe that we are Boston, and we have an opportunity to uplift everybody uh, and, and to budget our values 
and to realign the city of Boston with the values that we were started on. That's why I'm running, and I look forward to being the next mayor of the city of Boston and serving the amazing people of Boston. Boston City Councilor Tito Jackson, thank you again for taking the time to join us, and good luck over the campaign's final week. We will definitely have a better party, too. And that is going to do it for this installment of The Scrum. Peter Kadzis, thanks as always. Thank you, and thank you, Councilor. And thanks to everyone who has taken the time to listen. Remember, you can find The Scrum on Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe if you haven't already. You can also find us on Stitcher and SoundCloud and at blogs.wgbh.org slash scrum. Thanks to our colleague Doug Shugarts for making this conversation sound good. I'm Adam Riley. The Scrum is a production of WGBH News.